All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Yeah. Yeah, y'all look good. Y'all look good. Thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. My name is Alfonso Mack. I'm one of the pastors in training here on staff with H2O. Um, and I'm thrilled to be able to share the Word of God with you all this morning. Um, like Brian said, we are kicking off this new series in the book of Psalms. And um, <clears throat> let me just tell you that we'll be in this series for the majority of the summer. And I really, really love the Psalms. The Psalms are probably one of my favorite books because you get to see so many different aspects um, of God's goodness throughout the Psalms. And so really just to, to kind of just intro a little bit, just so you understand what the Psalms are. So the Psalms is, is this collection of prayers and songs by God's people um, to really evoke amongst God's people a worship and a love for God, despite any kind of circumstance that people could be going through. And so there are 150 psalms, and the psalms are set up in where there's five different sets of psalms that are broken down throughout, and there's multiple different authors. And so some are written by King David, some are written, written by Solomon, then you also have some where it says the sons of Korah, and then there's other ones, and then there's some that just aren't, we don't even know the, the authors to them. Um, but the Psalms are really these unfiltered prayers um, of just the human experience. You see so many different aspects in the Psalms. It's like if you feel something in your, in your relationship with God, more than likely if you go into the Psalms, you will be able to find it. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, you'll be able to find it in the Psalms. In the Psalms, there are different genres of Psalms as well. So we have lament Psalms. We have Psalms of Thanksgiving. We have Psalms of Wisdom. We have Messianic Psalms that point us towards Jesus. We have Royal Psalms that are just lifting up God as King. We also have imprecatory Psalms, which are pretty much almost like these curses or anger towards, towards enemies. We have all of these different Psalms. And those are just a few. There's also other genres of psalms. And the one that we will actually be into today, and it's kind of interesting to be starting off a psalm series with the lament, but this is the way that we're going. Okay, so I got to choose. Um, and this is a psalm that's really near and dear to my heart. And it's a personal lament psalm. It's Psalm 13 is where we will be today. And it's interesting because if you actually go look at the book of Psalms, like I told you there's 150 of them. And it's noted that almost about 40% or, or, or one out of every three psalms is a lament. It's just this, this, this moment where God's people are just crying out and just laying down what's going on in their hearts before God. And this psalm that we're in today is one that is just this heart cry of the brokenhearted. It's a call for deliverance in the midst of pain. And it's an invitation from God to be unfiltered in our communication, in our prayer to God, regardless of the emotions or feelings that you might be experiencing. And I know this psalm all, all too well, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 13. Please talk, turn with me to Psalm 13 and please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. So verse one, it says this, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord, my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. 
And so this morning, uh, based on this psalm, my, my big question is this, that, that I want us to kind of focus on, and it kind of will set the stage for, for, for kind of what I, what, I, what I would long for God to do in us this morning. And it's this, is God's faithful love through the gospel of Jesus Christ enough to sustain you when God seems distant? Is God's faithful love through the gospel of Jesus Christ enough to sustain you when God seems dis- distant? And so this psalm is broken up into three separate stanzas. And in each stanza, you have about two verses in each one. And the way that we're actually going to look at this this morning, I've split it up into two main sections. And the first one is the state of the heart. And you see that in verses one and two. And then the, the second is the response of the heart. And it's, it's verses three through six. Um, and that will be broken into two separate points, just so you kind of know the flow of, of where we'll be going this morning. And so looking at the state of the heart, we see in this, these first two verses, David, he opens up with this series of questions. And each question that he asks starts with, how long? He does this four times. How long? Now, when it comes to this psalm and he's asking this question, there's not much clarity that we have been given in this context to kind of understand exactly what is the specific cause or dealing that is allowing him to feel why so long? There's speculation that it could be in many different things. Some people have speculated that it could be that he is having a, an ailment of some sort that he is dealing with. Or it could be um, if you go look in the Old Testament and you're looking in the book of, of, of Samuel, there's this moment where we see that, that King Saul, which was a friend of David at one point who allowed David to come in. And David ended up gaining all of this fame. And Saul, even though he was a friend of David's, started to get bitter and jealous towards David to the point that he wanted to go and kill David. And so this could be a part of what it is. And so when he wanted to kill David, David fled. And you'll see that in some, there's other Psalms where where David literally is in the wilderness. And it's literally because he is fleeing from this upcoming death that is to be upon him. And that doesn't just happen to him once. It happens to him multiple times. So this could be the reason, but it's not really that clear. But whatever the cause is, this this outcry of how long, Lord, there are some of us in this room that can definitely relate to this. See, this first question is one that comes when you're facing this situation that feels a little bit too much to handle. It's just very, very painful. And you wonder, how long is this going to last in my life? This is a state of the heart, and it's a state, and it's a one of complaint. I, I, know, I know this very, very well because it happens in my life just like it is with David. I think about all the times that I have to ask the question of how long. I, I've, I've asked this question many times with my wife when we're getting ready to go somewhere. And she's taking a little bit long, and I'm ready to go. I'm like, babe, how long are you going to, how much longer we got? And what's going on in my heart? I'm complaining. I'm not being patient. You know, I, I know this a little bit too much because growing up, I got in a lot of trouble at home. And, and my mom, she would just put me on punishment. It just means I was grounded a lot. Um, I think it was, it was to a point where I was almost grounded for an entire year. And I, I know it sounds real bad, but there, there were times there, even every week by week, I would ask my mom, how much longer do I have to go through this? And she'd be like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But every single week, I'm coming back to my mom saying, how much longer do I have to stay in this place? And it would get to this point where I'm really asking this question with this hope that maybe she will uplift this punishment sooner than I was expecting her to do it. And I realized that those times and seasons can be very, very hard when you're just like, how long are these things going to last? And this is the only question that you might ever have in your heart. And David found himself wondering that same exact thing of how long, oh Lord. And he gets very specific. 
He had, we see this deep dive into what's really going on in his heart. And this next part, he says, how long will you literally forget me forever? It seems like God isn't even listening to me. This is what he, he's like, God's not even near to me. This is what David is communicating. And at times our faith, it almost seems like God has just abandoned us. If he's just withholding his love and his tender care towards us. It's like we need him to answer a certain prayer, but it seems like God is just completely silent and he's just forgotten us. I know that many of us wrestle with that. It's like, God, are you even listening to anything I'm saying? Where are you? And this is hard because the emotions and connections run deep when we feel abandoned by someone that we love, especially when it's God. Abandonment does something to the heart and it leads like to a crying out. It reminds me a little bit, just very slightly, of kids when you, when you drop them off to daycare. There are some kids who are w- very well-mannered, but then there are some where it's like, you drop me off at daycare, and I'm literally screaming because I'm with people I don't really know. There's just something deep down within the heart because it's like the one that I love, I, I'm not with them. And this is kind of a picture of what we get. And so David's just like, God, will you literally forget me forever? And I think about this question, I can only ponder, is it actually possible for God to forget his people forever. Is it possible for God to forget? Like, it's crazy that he literally says not just, like, forget for a little while. He literally goes as long in his heart to say forever. Like, for all of eternity, you're just going to forget me. Think about this. The, the God who created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the, and the seas and the waves and everything, every fiber of your being, he knows the hairs on your head. You really think that God is going to forget you. This is how painful this situation that he is going through but I think that's not the case God's not gonna forget us it's a lie for us to believe that God will forget one of his people look at these words in the book of Isaiah verse uh, chapter 49 verses 14 and 15 says but Zion the Lord has forsaken me my Lord has forgotten me can a woman forget her nursing child that she shouldn't have no compassion on the son of her womb Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. These are the words literally from God himself saying, I will not forget my people. He is not going to abandon us. And I know that it's so hard to believe when you feel otherwise. When you're just like David and things are really hard and you feel stuck. And it's like, God, you literally have forgotten me. And all this does is it drives you into even more complaining, even more questioning. And you see it next where David, he says, Not just like, God, will you forget me forever? He says, how long will you literally hide your face from me? Will you do it forever? And so here, when he's talking about hiding his face, he's saying like, God, will you literally hide your glory and your goodness from me? It makes me think of of the scriptures, um, like in in, in Numbers, when it talks about the face of the Lord shining upon us. In Numbers 6, uh, 24 to 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And then in Psalm 80, verse 3, this is what it literally says. It says, restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. And so here's this picture and this experience of God's face shining upon us. It's just kind of just this revealing moment of God's presence literally being around us in this personal way. But we can just see and experience God. And so when I think of him saying, God, will you hide your face from me? He's talking about not having the presence of God or being able to see the majesty and the splendor and the glory of God. He's like, I I, I can't even taste the goodness of God right now. And this is a question that can happen a lot when it feels like God is just playing around with us. 
It almost feels like a little bit of a game of hide and seek. He's hiding his face. I think about it as a child. I would get so frustrated when I'm playing hide and seek with my, with my cousins or, or my friends, and I can't find them, especially when I was real little. It's like, man, where, where is everybody at? And you get, so, you get so upset because you're so young and you don't want to be alone. This is kind of this picture that I'm literally seeing here in this text. And so when I think about this question that he asked of like, how long will you hide your face? It just makes me think of the, the times in our faith where it seems like things are dried up and we're not experiencing the goodness of God. It's like you feel empty. It's like you don't know what it feels like to have the joy of the Lord as your strength. It's like you read your Bible and it feels like dry as dust. You spend time in prayer and it seems like the signal and connection to God is just completely lost. You're serving a community. You're walking in righteousness. And you ask God, like, are you, where's my joy? I'm not enjoying these moments. He just seems so far away. You know, even though this is the case, you wander deep down. Lord, how long will you keep doing this to me? When can I just get a little taste? I just want a little taste of the rivers of living water. I just want a little bit. And I know this all a little bit too well. See, in 2016, I had this moment. I don't even know exactly when it happened. But I went through the same exact thing. And it lasted for years. Almost about five. And I still battle a little bit with it even today. Where I've had these moments where I think about when I first became a Christian, I was just had so much joy every single day. I would open up my Bible. I'm like, oh, this is just so amazing. I want, I want more of this. I remember just serving and being in communion. Like, this is just so good. And then there's this moment where it's like, where did God go? I know this all too well. And I was just every single day crying out to God. Like, God, how long? Will you forget me forever? I remember pouring my heart out over this psalm day after day. And not even just this psalm. I was going to Psalm 42, which is another one. And that psalm is even crazier because he's talking about why is my soul so just downcast? Why am I in such turmoil in my soul? Is what uh, Lily was singing in Psalm 88. Is another psalm I was going to, but that one doesn't even have anything that looks good at the end of it. This one, at least this one we're reading does. Okay, so, so, so I, I remember just being in this spot, and I'm just pouring over the scriptures, and I'm just like, God, where are you? But something happened in all of that time when I was learning, and we'll dive into more of that, was God was literally still holding on to me. And every now and then, he would give me a little bit of a glimmer of hope to just see how good he is, and we'll see a little bit of that in the life of David here soon. And so just a real quick note, if, you, if, if you're someone that's in the, that season, I would love to have a conversation because I, I feel you. I feel you. And I know that when you go through seasons like this, it can be very easy, though, because I was in it where you get angry, you get impatient, you get sad. It's like, God, I don't know what you're doing. And you're just grumbling all the time. And the reason I think about that is because we don't like to wait. <laughs> Waiting is not good. We, we're very impatient people. It, it, everybody in here, I know there's people who got some good patience, but every one of us gets impatient at some time. Can I get an amen from somebody? Thank you. Thank you. I know, I know all too well. We get impatient. And I think some of that is because we, we, when we think about God's timing, we struggle with a little bit of like this self-righteous arrogance where we trust a little bit more in our timing than what God's timing and what God could be doing. But let me just say something in these moments, even when I think about this psalm, these are the points in time where the grace of God just comes into play in our waiting. 
He just, it just comes into play. And it's just like, oh, man, may that God literally just give us grace in our waiting. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, oh, for grace that while we wait on God, we may be kept from indulging a murmuring spirit. See, we need God's grace in these seasons when we're just waiting and we're wondering, like, God, where are you? Because if we don't, if we don't get that, what happens next is what you see in verse 2, where it says, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? The word here for, for anxious concerns is similar to sorrow. And so in the Hebrew, it's this word, yagan, and it really, it's just the opposite of joy. So it gives off this connotation of being in such emotional turmoil, where it's just like this morbid and just dark and this gloomy place. And this is another relatable question for those who might be in here right now who are feeling anxious about your relationship with God, where you have these anxious concerns and it almost feels like your mind is literally in a prison and you cannot find any way out. And it's like, he says, how long will I store up, is what he says. It's like, it's almost as if he's saying, all of this agony, all of this pain, all of this anxiety, it's like it's self, self-inflicted. He says, how long will I store up, is what he says. And he's like, this keeps happening to me every single day. It's like he keeps focusing on the same things over and over again. It's just wrecking him. Alistair Begg said it this way. He says the longer he gives about, about David, he says the longer he gives himself over to these thoughts, the more he is giving himself over to self-pity. And then Spurgeon even says, says it this way. He says, ruminating upon trouble is bitter work. Ruminating is literally just to constantly think about it. And so here he's saying, I literally am storing up these anxious concerns day in and day out, meaning I am overly focused on them every single time. And what this means for us is when we focus on the worst of the situation day after day, usually what it does is nothing good. It usually drives us into deeper pits of despair as if there is no hope. And this can be us where our thoughts and our psyche are so trapped in a perpetual cycle of horrible thoughts without any ability to focus on that, which is good. And all it's doing is just slowly breaking us down each and every day. And I don't know what it could be for the person that's in here. I don't know what it could be, what thoughts you could be dealing with. Maybe it's lies about God's character. Maybe it's this disbelief uh, and anxiety in your heart because you're like, man, I, I wrestle a little bit as a Christian. Am I even saved? You might even be battling. I know when I was struggling, that was one of the biggest things I was wrestling with. Am I even saved? It was making me anxious over and over again. Or maybe it's just normal sadness and depression that you're dealing with where you're just constantly thinking, man, I have no hope. I have no way of getting out of this mud in life. I feel like I'm literally stuck. I have anxious thoughts all over, whether it's about my family, whether it's about my work. Maybe it's more so even just what Dave is like, God's feeling this, and that's what's calling, causing me to feel this way. Whatever it may be, these questions pose for us the battle between our feelings and what is actually true. And just because we feel these things, going back to what we talked about, doesn't mean that God has forgotten us. Just think about that. It does not change God's goodness. See, the scripture tells us, though, that when we think about our our, our own hearts, they're deceitful above above all else. Uncurable, who can even understand it? Jeremiah 17 We're told by Paul to also take your thoughts captive and to make it obedient to Christ. And so there are these moments in our lives where where our hearts are just in such a rough place. And it makes me just wonder, well, why is that? 
why did why do we get these things from scripture that are trying to help us understand is because we battle we battle with sin we battle with our own brokenness in our hearts the enemy's trying to destroy us satan himself and all of these things lead to agony and anxiousness all within our hearts that god has completely left us with no hope almost as if our, our enemy is dominating us literally just absolutely destroying us and it's crazy because that's the same thing that David literally asked God. How long will my enemy dominate me? That's how bad our thoughts can be where it literally feels like we're getting beat down to the ground, just stomped on with a size 12 Timberland boot or something like that. That's literally what it can feel like. And so the question is, how do we find hope in this? Like, what, what do we do when this happens to us? And I love the rest of this psalm because I think Dave gives us an answer, which leads me to my second point, and it's just the response of the heart. And so in verse three, he says, consider me an answer, Lord my God, restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. And so in verse three, he starts off and he gives us this first answer in, in, in response of what to do in our abandonment, where it feels like God has left us in our faith, where it feels like things are dark, and then the first thing that we must do is we must seek the Lord with all of our hearts in prayer and just asking him honestly for what we need. See, David had this agony in his heart and look at what it did. It just drove him closer to God, to seek God. He's just like, God, consider me. He's praying to God, just look at me. I want you to look at me. This is just an honest statement. Like, I just want you to see me, look at me, and answer me. This is literally just like when you're going through something, you want to tell somebody just with some hope that they might actually want to help you out. This is literally what he is doing. He says, Lord, my God, just help me and restore me. So he's getting personal here. Talking about Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I would sleep in death. It's to say, Lord, my life is so dark and gloomy as if I'm in a pit. And he says, if you don't bring me joy or even a glimmer of hope, I'm going to literally die. He's like, I'm, I'm going to physically die. This man's like, I need you so badly right now, or I'm not going to be here. It's like, I want to see who you are. This hurts just so much. And as I, I think about this, I, I, I just picture him weeping as he's writing this. Just absolutely just weeping. But there's something so cool, though, about him asking the Lord to restore him. And it's, and it's pointing us to this part of that he's actually trusting in God in this moment. He's like, I'm trusting in God to transform and renew my soul. He's like, God literally has the power right now, and he is capable of providing a miracle in my life. This is what his, his approach to God in prayer is revealing, and he believes it. He's like, I'm going to put my life in your hands, because if I don't, I'm literally not going to be here. He's like, I'm too weak on my own. I don't have the strength to lift my hands up. It's hard for me to even want to get on my knees and worship. So I need you to help me right now. Oh, Lord, you are capable. And just a little quick note. These things that he is praying to God about in verses three and four, he is doing so in a season of waiting. Okay. And in this season of waiting, we don't know the timetable, but God is good in that, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but let's just keep going. We look at verse four. It says, my enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. 
And so here we, there's this picture where it seems like the enemy has won this battle. And he says, I have triumphed over him. And he's like, all my foes will literally rejoice because I am shaken. To be shaken means that I just don't have security or I have no safety. And he says, see, the enemy thinks that he has won this battle when we are at our weakest. But this is not true. When we are at our, at our weakest, when the power of God is displayed all the more because the Lord triumphs over his enemies. If we go look at the cross of Christ and his resurrection, there's a proof of that power right there. And so literally the enemy thought that he won, but literally, guess what? God reigns. And so listen, when we are in Christ, we are never counted out, even in the hardest situations in our life. Even when our enemies are literally taunting us, when they're literally hoping for our downfall. This is literally what, what it's like that he's saying here. It reminds me uh, of just like this analogy in sports where it's like, man, you got, you got these enemies, these, these haters, these doubters, all these people that are praying for your downfall, and they get excited when they see you fall. They're going to go and rejoice. It's almost like when, when, when people look at LeBron James and he don't make it to the finals or something like that, or when the Cleveland Browns lose, people get really, really excited. Or when somebody sometimes even get, get hurt, <laughs> people get like really excited about that. There's people rejoicing in that. This is kind of this picture of what you see right now. But David, though, I love his heart, even as he is saying this to God, because it's like, why would he be taught? Why would he want to talk about his enemies winning and rejoicing? And I think it's really because he wants God to be glorified. He's like, listen, if I stay in this place, the enemy seems like he has won, but I want you to get glory in my life. He's like, oh, Lord, I want you to lift me up. And deliver me so that people can see how good you are. See, he didn't want it to be just about him at this point. He wanted to be about God's glory. And this is all a part of his prayer. And so he's seeking the Lord here. And this is what we get in verses 3 and 4. And then as we get ready to go into this last point, this last point is this. This is the second response for us. The first is to literally praise God or pray, to, to literally pray to God. But the second is to praise God. And remember the gospel. Praise God and remember the gospel. So in verse 5, it says, But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. So this is something that God has called his people to do going back to Exodus. And it's to remember the Lord, their God. To not, <laughs> to not forget the Lord, their God. This is something that even the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. As Paul's literally getting ready to die. He's talking to his protege, Timothy. He says it in 2 Timothy 2.8, he tells him to remember Jesus who raised from the dead. And he talks about this is my gospel. So there's these moments where we must go and remember. We must look back because it helps us to keep fighting in the seasons of life, just like David is here. And so when he sits here, he starts with but. He's like, but. So, so, so it's like I get excited when I see that word in Scripture because it's just transitioning. He's like, hey, despite this, despite my trial, despite my plea for help, despite my agony, despite my pain, he's like, I have trusted in your faithful love, your unfailing love, your steadfast love, your unceasing love, and all your faithfulness to your people and all these promises you have made. He's taking his look back to the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even going to look back to the covenant that he made with Moses. Like, I will literally make, I will literally bless my people. 
He's looking back at what God has done before. And he, you can go and look back and even at in Exodus when his people were in slavery for years and God himself literally showed up. He's looking back at that moment to say God is faithful. And so if he was faithful, then what makes me think that God won't be faithful right now? This is literally what he is talking about. He's, and so he's saying God is true to who he is. He doesn't fall short. He doesn't lie to us. He deeply loves us. And he says, I will literally rejoice in your deliverance and your salvation. And so what David is doing here, he's literally just showing us that joy can be found more in the truth of God's salvation of his soul rather than his circumstances. This is what he is trying to show us. And this teaches us to praise the Lord, even if our situations do not change. And so my question is, does the way that we respond to our dark times reveal that God is worthy of our worship? Does it reveal that God is worthy of our worship in our dark times? See, see, I love these couple of verses because they're revealing so much to us. It's revealing that God is doing something in these seasons of our lives. One of the things that God is doing, he wants us to go and remember, like I said, and I'm thinking about Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who've been called according to his purpose. Because I want you to go remember that. All things, even the hard stuff. But then also, too, I think he is teaching us what it means to actually love and pursue God for God's sake. Meaning we pursue Jesus for who he is and not how he makes us feel. See, he's transforming the way that we actually see him. And it's easy to have faith in Jesus when you feel close to God, when you feel joyful. But it's really, really hard in seasons of dryness, in seasons of separation, to keep going. But these are the moments where real faith is developed. And all of this is this invitation from God into this ocean of grace because of his undeserving love. And David knew that, which is why he talks about God's generosity to him. And so we have to do what he has done here in verse 6. And it's to sing to the Lord for his generosity. He's teaching us to literally praise God for his goodness and his graciousness towards us while we wait for him to answer us. This is what he is revealing to us. And so I, I just had to wonder, when's the last time we just sat and we just rejoiced and praised God because of salvation in Jesus? Just for that alone. Like, thank you just for saving me. Thank you for sending your son. Just praise him for it. Despite my circumstances, I'm going to praise you for this. When's the last time? And I know that's a tough question to literally answer for some of us because we've done a little bit more complaining lately than just rejoicing in our salvation and God's goodness. And I think some of that comes because we forget how, how gracious God actually is towards us. God was gracious here to David. When David got into the presence of God, even though he was complaining at the beginning, he started to literally seek the face of God. He's praying to the Lord, and all God did was remind him of how good he has been to him. And this is what makes what David has done very important for us, that when we come to God in our brokenness, he just sweetly reminds us of his goodness. Just remind us how good of a God he is. Because listen, when we are complaining, it's really hard to have joy and gratitude in our heart. But when we go look at the face of God, we can see goodness. We can see goodness. And we can see goodness because we have to remember he doesn't owe us a single thing. God doesn't owe us a thing. He could have wiped every last one of us out because the wages of sin is death. But he decided not to do that. 
You know what he decided to do instead? He's like, I'm going to send my son as an atoning, a sacrifice for your sin. And that's why Jesus is the reason why we should rejoice in God's generosity. We should go look at the gospel and we should rejoice because all of the wrath of God was, that we deserved because of our sin was literally poured out upon Jesus himself. So we should be people who go and shout and we just praise God for that fact. That God didn't treat us the way that our sins deserve to be treated. So knowing Jesus and having Jesus should be enough to give us hope even right now despite whatever it is you might be going through. And then going looking at the life of Jesus, you can see even deeper that he understands exactly what it is you're going through. He understands what pain is. He understands what separation is so much that he said, to, said, hey, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the son of God, Jesus himself, who experiences that same exact thing. And you can even dive more into scripture. You can go look at Hebrews 12 and it tells you to literally fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him, think about that joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising his shame. He literally sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who literally adored such opposition from sinful men so you do not grow weary and lose heart. That is Jesus who we can literally look to and literally praise God for. So listen, Jesus understands all of this stuff of what it means to be separated, to go through hard times. But we must go look to him in the resurrection Because if we look at the cross, we see that he experienced pain. We see that he experienced agony and separation and harm from his enemies. But God's generosity didn't just stop. He brought generosity when he rose him again. And this in and of itself is what provides us hope. God's generosity. And what we must do is like David, as we get ready to close, and I want to get ready to write the band up is one day we must remember that God is going to restore. He's going to restore. He is going to restore. Whether that means it's going to happen on this side of heaven or when we literally die and we go be with him, he's going to restore whatever it is that was broken or the angst that you are going through. He is going to do it and we will reign with him. And we can rejoice in this fact. We can rejoice in the gospel. And so as we depart from this, let us be people who literally fall at the feet of God who seek his face in worship as we await for him to literally answer us in our brokenness and let us go and look to Christ and the gospel to literally remind us of how good God is despite what we're going through.